The currency in Iran has hit a new low as the Iranian economy continues to crumble. That story's coming up. No matter how you slice it, this Trump rally was a big debacle. I mean, this was just a colossal embarrassment for the Trump campaign. They're making excuses. Protesters deterred people from showing up at the rally or the coronavirus or the media frightened them. I don't care. Bottom line, Trump supporters, nothing is supposed to deter them, right? So now there's a report that Ivanka and Jared are angry at Brad Parscale, he's President Trump's campaign manager, because he predicted a massive crowd. He kept saying there were going to be tens of thousands of people, right? And this was a dud. This was just a total flop. A spokesperson for Jared Kushner says that story is false, says that they're not upset with Brad Parscale. But I don't care. This on two levels. Number one, the turnout was really pathetic. Number two, they kept promising a massive turnout. I mean, a million, a million reservations, a million, and then 6,000 people turn out and it's a half-empty arena, one million. I know you tell me, well, they didn't all get reservations. They called for reservations or went online, but they didn't actually get the tickets. Okay, I'm sorry. A million, 6,000, okay? It's a monumental embarrassment and they're playing the blame game they're blaming the media they're blaming the virus but i don't any anything you blame there were only six thousand people i don't care if there was a meteor shower i mean there were six thousand people that show up for a trump trump rally that's not supposed to happen right their enthusiasm is supposed to any any obstacle in their way oh but there were protesters really protesters can deter trump supporters well then what if there are protesters on election day does that mean they're not going to come out and vote what if i'm starting to think maybe mail-in voting is not a bad idea you know what if what if it rains on election day well there's a little rain outside i don't know i mean if that can deter them from coming i mean you're talking about hordes of people are supposed to be there now i will grant you what nine hundred thousand out of a million were deterred not come on and i know i know they don't all yakov they don't all get reservations i get it but the optics here can we admit the optics are bad now and any explanation they give doesn't change the reality that's my problem they're going and and and, and spinning it any which way well it's the protesters it's the media it's the virus it's tiktok i don't care it was only six thousand remember if if biden had six thousand people that would be a massive crowd uh, for Biden. Joe Biden, 600 people would be like epic. If Joe Biden, if like 33 people show up in a parakeet, you know, and uh, most of them have a pulse, that would be a huge win for Joe Biden. But this is not, this is Trump we're talking about here. You know, and, and again, the other issue is don't raise expectations. Keep the expectations low. You should tell me beforehand, listen, there's a coronavirus. There are protests going on. The media is trying to terrify everybody. We don't know how many we're going to get. If they say that, we don't know. You know, or if they would rent a smaller arena, or something. You don't, well, no, can't have a small arena because it's a Trump rally. But the point is, if you raise expectations and then this turnout happens, that makes it just so much worse. That takes a situation which is already ugly, makes it so much worse. Now, donors to the president, they have been fuming. They say that uh, this is actually demonstrates a systemic problem with the entire Trump campaign. Some uh, donors say that the campaign, by inflating expectations about the enthusiasm, rather than managing controlled expectations, they say that shows a systemic problem with the campaign. Now, are they going to consider changing this Brad Pascal? I'm not saying that they should, but this was very poorly done strategically. And and look, President Trump, he's not good with lowering expectations. That's not his thing. He raises expectations and raises them, and he makes all these promises. The fact is, he can get away with it because he keeps his promises. He'll make all sorts. He'll talk about winning and winning and winning. He talked about the economy and the wall, and he was running. I didn't know anything about him, right? I knew I knew I liked what he stood for, but we didn't know what kind of president he would be. I knew he was a good businessman, right? 
And I was shocked. I thought for sure, what is he doing? He's promising the world. He's never going to be. I said, when I literally said this, the day he's elected, I said, he's never going to build that wall because you need Congress's funding. I knew Congress wasn't going to give him the money. You need the funding. He's not going to get it. He's never going to build that wall. And he's going to break his promise. You know, the embassy move that he controls. He doesn't control Congress. And he shocked me. He blew me away because he out, he always delivers, you know, but uh, that did not happen in this particular case. Now, there is evidence that there were thousands, tens of thousands of teenagers and Democrat voters flooding the campaign with reservations. So they did commit some sort of fraud or I don't know what, but they exploited social media, exploited TikTok, where they literally had these social media campaigns saying reserve reserve and then don't show up telling other democrat voters to do that and that is totally disgraceful obviously for them to do that to fake out the trump campaign but you know what i don't care that's on the trump campaign you've got to be more savvy than these teenagers and then aoc you know who are pulling these shenanigans all right joe biden has agreed now look folks don't let don't let yourself get down over this I, i truly we have a long way to go there are a lot of people still not engaged. I'm still ignoring the polls. I, I'm I'm concerned. I'm not going to say that I'm not concerned about the polls, but I'm not giving up anywhere close. I do believe Trump still has an edge. But I, those of you who are frustrated by this debacle, I can understand where you're coming from. Joe Biden has agreed to three debates, so that's official. President Trump is pushing for a fourth debate. Joe Biden has insisted that they allow geese into the debate arena. Uh, look, I believe that President Trump is going to crush. I mean, come on. He's going to crush Biden in these debates, and that will sway. That's, that's part of why I'm not, not too concerned with the polls, because I want to see what the polls say after uh, tried, Trump routes Joe Biden in th- these debates. All right, so the from camps are suing Governor Cuomo, uh, asking a judge to reopen the camp, sleepaway camps in New York State. That's coming up. But first, this message. message. Uh, I want to tell you about Shalom Burstein once again. Have you thought about who would provide for your spouse and kids of Chas Shalom? You were not around. I hope it never happens. Halila. But you still need to be prepared. And Shalom Burstein is the perfect person to prepare you. He can find you the ideal life insurance option for your family's need, for your family's budget. I know him personally. He is friendly, he is sincere, he's caring, he wants to do what is best for your family. And you may be thinking, I don't know, I'm not sure. Look, you know what, I just want to, I'm not going to read off the script here. Look, this is a very real issue, tragically. Baruch Hashem, it doesn't happen too often that young people are taken away from their families. However, when it does happen, and they are not prepared, and you see these chesed fund, I'm not, I'm not reading anything here. I'm telling you just literally what's coming out of my heart. You see the chesed fund, you see the campaign, and, you know, help the almana, help the orphans, Rahman al-Islam, right? And it's just such a horrible feeling. And it's like, well, if only they had had a life insurance policy, well, who would have ever thought that somebody would be nifter at such a young age, 40, 35, 30, you know, but COVID-19 has gotten us thinking about things that maybe we didn't used to think about. And it's a horrific scenario. And the way to avoid it is really easy. You call Sholem Burstein and he creates a plan. And then if Chas Sholem that situation happens, uh, the family's taken care of and they don't need the fund and they don't need the emergency campaign. Think about that, you know, and, and, and suddenly, wow, okay, Baruch Hashem, we were prepared. Again, hopefully it's never, ever relevant to anybody who's listening to this. But that's the, 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 the situation. And look, I'm not sure. I have a lot of questions. Shalom's not going to bite. He's really, really 
easy to talk to, and he's going to answer the questions, and you're not going to be pressured into doing anything that you don't want to do. It's a simple, risk-free conversation. So call Sean today at 848-299-1916, 848-299-1916. By the way, he can also help you with a Simcha plan so that you can save up money when you make a chasana. You can enjoy it and not have to stress over how you're going to pay for it. Just press 7 off the main menu of this hotline. Could not possibly be easier. By the way, someone sent me a tshuva from the Shin of a Rav who says that buying life insurance is a segula for Arichus Yomim. He gives a fascinating explanation, which is beyond the scope of this ad. But call Shalom today at 848-299-1916 or press 7 off the main menu. So the camps are suing Governor Cuomo. They want a restraining order issued by a judge. Now, I could see a judge overruling Cuomo, and I want to analyze this for a minute because I actually would have taken a slightly different approach. I'm sure the lawyers know what they're doing, but I just want to give you my take on this because, hey, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? They're basically making two arguments. I read through most of this lawsuit that they filed against Cuomo, and they're making two arguments. And we got a lot of uh, other news to get to, but I think that we're going to go a little into this because it's such a big deal, these sleepaway camps. And I could see a judge overruling Cuomo and issuing this restraining order and reopening sleepaway camps. Now, we're talking about just a few days to go, but that would obviously be a, just a shocking, dramatic twist, and it would be an am- amazing news, amazing news. This is devastating to from families. But the two arguments are the First Amendment, religious freedom, how Cuomo is interfering with religious freedom by not opening from sleepaway camps, and also, number two, that Cuomo basically is a hypocrite because he himself supported the protests. So if he supported the protests, then why would he not support sleepaway camps, and they also go through the fact that the sleepaway camps, you came up with all these stipulations, a way to mitigate the health risks and, you know, really keep uh, keep the outbreak from spreading as a result from the camp, social distancing, and, and all sorts of other guidelines that they came up with and restrictions. So here's the approach that I would have used, and I'll, I'll explain why. I would have said that there's no data or research that the governor was able to produce to prove that the risk of opening outweighs the risk of not having camp. In other words, the health risk posed, which I believe right now is minimal, I'm not an infectious disease specialist, but if you look around, you know, Baruch Hashem, things are not spreading. So I believe opening camps right now is a minimal risk. And I believe the risk of not having camp in terms of the psychological trauma that it's going to do to these families, these kids, the the, the, the impact it'll have on their psyche, their mental health, I think is a massive, massive risk and danger. Okay, so, but, but here's the point. Where's the data? Where is the research? Cuomo did not produce any research. Here's what's going to happen if we open camps. Here's what's going to happen if not. We have a study. At least I haven't seen any. This Howard Zucker, who's the head of New York State Health Department, he basically made it sound like he's just going by gut instinct. Listen, you know, this is a tough decision for me. I also like camp, but I feel it's not safe. Based on what? Where's the data? Where's the research? And, And there's a precedent for this. There's a case that was won by a barber in Michigan. So to me, what Howard Zucker and what Cuomo are doing is they're they're choosing the safer path for them politically. Because politically, right now, everybody's angry at them. People are upset. But that doesn't cause them major political harm. The nursing homes, that was a disaster for Governor Cuomo, right? Well, here, if Chasa Shalom, there was a spike in the sleepaway camp because the sleepaway camp's opening up. Well, then everybody's blaming Cuomo. He reopened too early. And then he's going to get in major trouble. This way, he's playing the safer bet. That, In my opinion, that's how I think they're looking at this. Again, I, I, I don't know if they're, you're saying me, well, it's not so good for him politically to keep the camps closed. Okay, fine. But there's nothing like life and death. And certainly in their mind, that's the safer bet. I I have no doubt. It's all politics. But in Michigan, a barber actually sued, uh, filed a lawsuit against the governor, right? Gretchen Whitmer over her tough policies. The the barbershop, they kept closing the barbershop down and giving him summons. And he said, I need to stay open. This is my livelihood. And, and And the judge ruled that he could stay open. 
And the judge said because Michigan showed no data, no research, saying that this barbershop staying open is actually going to lead to loss of human life, actually going to lead to to health problems. Now, you say, well, what about the COVID-19 pandemic? Hello, what was the judge talking about? I mean, obviously, social distancing is needed, right? So the judge said, yeah, you can show me the statistics. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. Show me the statistics of COVID-19, of social distancing in general. He said, but you need to prove, you want to close down this barber. This barber says... I don't pose a health risk. The judge said it's the burden of proof is on the state to show data that this barber staying open is going to lead to more death. And the fact that you just showed in general social distancing, that's not a reason that you justifies closing down this barbershop. So that was a re- I found that ruling fascinating because I think we would have thought that, look, you don't have a chance that we so here with camps. I think you can make a very strong argument, research data, you know, because it's children and children, Baruch Hashem, are not harmed very much. And because the Kawasaki-like disease that comes from COVID-19 is extremely rare and because the camps are going to social distance and because New York and New Jersey, the numbers keep going down despite the fact that they've been reopening all sorts of things. So uh, that tells me that the health risk is extremely minimal. Now, as opposed to the psychological trauma, I believe they can get one psychologist after the next, probably hundreds to sign on a letter that there's going to be massive, massive danger that this will cause to the mental health. And I don't want to get anybody nervous, but I have no question that's what the data would show. So that to me is the argument I would have taken. I didn't see that. Maybe I didn't see that part, but I didn't see that in the lawsuit. But I did see that emphasizing First Amendment rights and Cuomo his basically double standard, how he himself is okay with breaking the rules when it comes to protests, so why not for the camps? And to me, the way, if I'm a judge, you know, you might respond as follows. You might respond, listen, as far as the First Amendment, you know, we've seen many instances where when it came to public health and danger, uh, that you can interfere with the First Amendment. Now, they're going to say, well, yeah, but here now it's not public health. Okay, but that's going to be an interesting debate. I, I, I'm not saying I agree with uh, with what you know what, what I'm saying the judge might say, but I think that's uh, possibly an argument a judge might use. As far as Cuomo's double standard, here's what they might say. They might say, listen, you're right that Cuomo's a hypocrite. You're right that Cuomo should never have supported the protesters, but Cuomo never made it a policy. They're going to distinguish, I think, and they're going to say Cuomo made a policy about sleepaway camps. Cuomo's policy actually forbade, actually prohibited the, the the rallies, the protests from taking place. Well, Cuomo's a hypocrite because he supported them. All right, he's a hypocrite, but he never actually instituted, a implemented a, a state policy where he said protests are allowed. Now you're asking him by the camps to implement a policy. So they're going to say, maybe you're labeling Cuomo a hypocrite, but that's not a good enough reason. It's not like he issued a policy, so he's been consistent with his policies. I'm not saying I agree with that either, but that's my concern about the weakness in the approach that the camps are using, but we're going to obviously keep an eye and give you all the details. A police officer in Queens, New York, was suspended for a chokehold. It's not even 100% clear. I think that it was a chokehold, but he put his hands around the man's neck, so I understand you err on the side of chokehold right now. But here's my problem with this is... It happened literally the same day. This chokehold happened yesterday, Sunday, and the police officer was suspended, I believe suspended without pay for this chokehold. And that never happens that quickly. They didn't do you know, any kind of review or anything, obviously. It just all it happened literally within a few hours. Why? Why? Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. It happened because of the backlash of George Floyd and because of the climate right now. It's all politics. This is all politics. We, how come we haven't heard about police officers? This is not a new thing. The, the, the New York suspension, New York City, the suspension on chokeholds. And yet we haven't, we don't hear about police officers being suspended without pay for chokeholds and certainly not happening in lightning, lightning speed the way it did, right? The answer is because they're afraid it's all about politics. It is all about politics. So 
What that tells me is, now, well, but it's illegal. He shouldn't do a chokehold. Okay, but what that tells me is there's a lot more scrutiny right now. They're obviously enforcing these bans a lot more than they did. And what what they're doing is they're punishing police officers, right? And we haven't heard about that happening before George Floyd. So that means this is in response. This is backlash. And that really gets me nervous because... How soon until police officers are afraid to get into any kind of confrontation and are afraid to even respond to calls because they don't want to be suspended without pay because they see one wrong move, uh, you know, one restraint that's interpreted the wrong way. And suddenly uh, they're suspended without pay. I mean, that could be an, a disaster. And you tell me, well, this has been on the books already, this ban. But if it hasn't been enforced or, you know, if they've used more reason in enforcing it, then maybe it doesn't deter cops. But now if this is going to be it, you know, you go to work one day and then a few hours later you're coming home and you lost your salary and you don't know when they're going to reinstate you and your people are looking at you like you're some kind of evil monster, that could make a lot of police officers deter. They're saying now a lot of officers in a lot of different um counties around the country, cities around the country are uh, want to resign. Now, Democrats in the House have a police reform bill. Republicans have another one. I'll just quickly break down for you the difference between the two bills. And look, I don't even think the Republicans should be so quick to pass any kind of police reform. The Republicans, as far as I'm concerned, are already bending over backward to pander because this is not how you legislate is based on backlash, okay? Because you're afraid of being labeled a racist. But the Democrats, are refusing to consider the Republican bill. The Republican bill authored by Senator Tim Scott, the only African-American Republican in the Senate, it would essentially end the police use of chokeholds around the country in most instances. It would require state governments and local governments to report data on the use of force by police that causes serious injury or death, and it would report the use of no-knock warrants. They're saying these no-knock warrants can be very deadly when they're actually allowed to just bust into a house, and there are stories where they bust into the wrong house and they don't realize it and they uh, can do very bad things. It, it does happen. It's a very tragic type of situation. So the Republicans want to uh, report the use of that. They don't want to end the no-knock warrants, but they want the data to be reported. Democrats are doing the same thing, but the Democrat bill in the House also wants to end no-knock warrants and end qualified immunity for police, which we've told you about. The Democrats should right away uh, agree to the Republican bill because they should be thrilled and praising the Republicans, as I said, because under Obama, under Biden, we never heard a thing about police reform. They could have passed it. They didn't even discuss it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the Republicans should not even touch this this issue for six months because it's a knee-jerk reaction. And as I said, you do not legislate because you want to pander to a minority group. You know, this is basically the fear of the left-wing fascists that has brought out this legislation. So as far as I'm concerned, you take what you can get and you don't go any further than that. But the Democrats, of course, they refuse to make a deal with Republicans, as we've seen again and again. So we're going to have to see where all this goes. In Israel, Prime Minister Netanyahu has threatened to dissolve the government. No, it's not clear how serious this threat is, but he has threatened to dissolve the government if Benny Gantz refuses to support annexation. And this is a big conflict, as we know, even though Benny Gantz said that in principle he does, he is willing to support annexation. He does not want it July 1st. Netanyahu does. Uh, the Europeans and the Arabs have been putting a lot of pressure on Israel not to annex parts of the West Bank. Now, this could theoretically be a political ploy. If you want to be a little bit cynical, so it could be that Netanyahu, what he's doing is he's trying to label Gantz as being too soft to left wing, and then he wants to try for another round of elections. He wants to dissolve the unity deal, try for another round of elections, and kind of gamble on the fact that maybe Likud will be stronger now because Gantz is the one who opposed the Trump peace plan, and maybe that's very popular, the idea of annexing. Obviously, look, Netanyahu has been promising, pledging to annex 
in July, and uh, you know some believe he was stronger this last election than in previous elections. Some believe that might be why, because he's taken a tougher stance against the Palestinians and in, and, and in favor and support of annexation. But would he risk? It would be such a risk for him. He has this unity deal, and he's pretty safe right now in terms of for, for somebody under indictment who's running the the, the country. So who knows? I suspect that they're not going to dissolve the government. The Balad Party, which is the part of the one of the Arab parties in the Knesset, this is unbelievably disgraceful, unspeakable. They published a tribute on Facebook to three murderers of in the Hebron 1929 massacre, the 1929 massacre in Hebron. So the Balad Party. The Arabs in, in the Knesset have published a tribute on Facebook, a tribute celebrating, praising three of the leading murderers of the leaders of the massacre, Yamach Shema. So this is the, they're commemorating 90 years since these three men were hanged, these three monsters were hanged by the British. Yes, I believe the correct grammar is hanged, not hung, although it's very commonly used now these days to say hung as well. The murderers are described by the Arabs as martyrs of the El Burak Revolution, which is the Palestinian name for that massacre. What happened was, I was not aware of this, the British condemned 27 Arabs to death for participating in the massacre. More than 100 Yidin were murdered in Hebron and other cities around Israel, Hashem, Yimkoim, Demehem. And uh, in the end, most of them got a reprieve. These three, who were the who were the most vicious monsters, the most horrific people, these three were killed um and uh the, the many of them of these 27 who were originally sentenced to death were actually reprieved by the british which that itself is disgraceful on its facebook page balad said that the riots were part of a heroic palestinian struggle to save the temple mount mosques from the jews the site commemorates hundreds of palestinians killed in these riots which were part of the massacre says that at the same time Quote, 60 Zionists were also killed. The page says that heroes and martyrs' memories will remain inscribed on their hearts during the long journey to free Palestine. I mean, so it's really, really beyond egregious here, really unspeakable. And another Arab party, uh, Hadash, uh, also, also, which is, I guess, related, I guess there, there are some Jews in that party, I believe, I don't know, um, they, they also praised these murderers, these monsters who participated in this massacre. Now, the Knesset some, tried to kick some of these Knesset members out of the Knesset. So they, actually there was an attempt to kick some, some of these radical anti-Semite uh, pro-terror Arabs who are part of the Arab jointless party in the Knesset. They did try to kick some of them out of the Knesset, but a court, an Israeli court, actually overruled that, and the Knesset voted to disqualify them from the Knesset, and the court actually allowed them to stay in the Knesset, these left-wing courts. I mean, really, really just just disgraceful. And it, it, so obviously, they should not be in the, in the Israeli Knesset. If, if they think this way, they, they have no place in the Israeli Knesset. But just think about this for a minute. The fact that Israel allows them to stay in the Knesset, even if it's the court system, whatever, the radical left is, but the bottom line is, this is Israel. This shows you how open-minded Israel is and the democratic process in Israel, unlike any of any Arab country in the Middle East. That Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. And don't tell me about Iran with like it's one token Jew who's in the parliament and the Iranians do that purely for the optics. But the point is, the Europeans, the UN, they'll have you believe that Israel, Bernie Sanders for that matter, Israel's an, a racist country, an evil regime. Netanyahu, he's anti-Arab, right? The Israelis are the monsters, right? Yet they allow people who encourage terrorism against Jews 
to be part of the Knesset. Now, I, I'm not condoning, it's egregious, but, but why don't they recognize the fact that Israel is the only country in the Middle East who would ever do this, and the Arabs would never treat Jews the way the, the Israelis treat Arabs. I mean, they literally have terrorists right there voting alongside them in the Knesset, and that's what makes all the problems in the Knesset, as, as a caller always likes to remind me, which is a great point. Iran's currency has dropped to its lowest value ever against the dollar, lowest value in history against the dollar. This is the Iranian real, of course, and it's the direct result of President Trump's sanctions. Iran's oil revenues have plummeted from $100 billion in 2011 to just $8 billion. So their economy is tanking. It is a disaster. And the, the, the sanctions have caused Iranian oil exports, which is their main source of income, to really plummet. In Chicago and New York, there has been horrific violence. I'm checking the clock here. I had a call with a, uh, I had I spoke to a listener today, a uh, very, very uh, avid listener, and it was a really great conversation. And uh, he gave me some critical feedback. He was very positive and uh, it, was, it was great. I actually really enjoyed speaking to him very much and he's been listening for quite a long time and uh, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he's clearly very into politics and it, w- it was a great conversation. I'll, 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 I won't go on about that too long here, but he gave me some feedback. He said, the shows are too long. You got you to gotta shorten the shows. So I'm, I'm watching the clock here. We're already longer than I was hoping, but horrific uh, violence in Chicago. And some of you were thinking, what do you mean? We want it to go longer because I'll get voicemails. I'll get literally get voicemails both ways. I'll get voicemails sometimes. There's a caller who'll say to me, 36 minutes, Yaakov. Wow. I, I, my whole drive, I got to listen to the Yaakov M show because you went a whole 36 minutes. And other people say to me, it's too long. We're busy. We don't have time. Just cut it short. All right. Horrific violence in Chicago and New York. More than 100 people were shot in Chicago over the weekend. At least 14 of them died. Vi- most violent weekend in Chicago this year. New York City. There have been uh, 300. The, the, the amount of shootings in the last seven days have skyrocketed more than 358% compared to last year, 2019. And this is indirect. Why is all this sudden violence spike, right? Clearly, it's because of the lockdown indirectly because people are going crazy. It's also because of the crazy governments and the protests and everything else. But all that indirectly comes from the lockdown, in my opinion. So, um, And this part of when President Trump said that the lockdown could, could be a life and death, it could literally lead to death. This is part of what he meant is this kind of thing. Obviously, he couldn't predict this, but this is what happens when you lock people up and trap them for months. Then, you know, they eventually go stir crazy. President Trump is suspending foreign worker programs. This will prevent about 600,000 foreign workers who would normally get U.S. visas come to the U.S. and work. This is going to prevent about 600,000 foreign workers. President Trump issued this executive order today, Monday, and uh, this is basically going to free up about 600,000 jobs for Americans who, of course, are struggling mightily right now with unemployment, and this will last till at least December 31st, so this is a very big deal. All right, we'll end it there. A lot more exciting stuff that we'll have to wait till tomorrow. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.